Hey, well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Todd Berkey, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church, and I normally spend my time working with the Young Adults Ministry. It's called Junction. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm still finding people who don't know that Grace offers something for those 20s and 30s, grad, single grad students and young professionals in the area. Uh, if you're, you're wondering, like, man, this season of life, there's nobody like me here. That's just not the case. Uh, I would encourage you, if you're in that demographic and you're like, man, I, I've been alone, I need some community and fellowship, come join us Thursday in the College Auditorium right across the way. If you know somebody's in that demographic and they're just struggling, like, man, I, I, I don't know about this Jesus guy, I think maybe I have some questions and I think maybe I'm willing to, to engage in some conversations about that. I encourage you, plug them in, send them our direction. Thursday night, seven to nine, College Auditorium. There's my shameless plug for Junction. Um, some, actually, some of the people who, who are here, they came about a month and a half ago. We had baptisms at Junction, just a side note. We, we had these baptisms and these men and, they, and these women, they stood up and they told their stories about what God was doing in their lives. And oh my goodness, It is incredible. God is doing some incredible things in that ministry, in all ministries. I'm sure he is, but it was just a beautiful moment to hear those stories and be encouraged. Now I'm really finished with my plug for Junction. Um, Moving forward here as well, it's been a busy summer for Team Berkey. Team Berkey consists of myself and my my wife, Erin, here in the greenish blue shirts, and then our older son, Paxton, who's 14, and our younger, who is Preston. They're currently making their way back from Colorado with fun vacation time, and Um, It's been a busy summer. As Zach said, just a little over four weeks ago, uh, we were down with a larger team down in El Salvador, and we were serving these families. And what was amazing to me is, because it was our second trip, we had gotten to know several of the families, several of the youth. And to begin to hear the stories about what Jesus is doing in their lives, how he's transforming things. And not just to hear the stories, but to see it lived out, to see the difference. Oh my goodness. It was incredible. It was beautiful. It was an honor to be there. Well, we came back and we had about, not quite a week off. Um, during that week, we prepared to take a group of 10 of our young adults to Central Asia. And so we were, boom, jet-setting again off uh, to the other side of the world here. And this, we had no idea really what we were stepping into with that ministry. But this was in- incredible. Um, during the week, we got to hear stories from Iranians, Syrians, gypsies, Uh, Folks from the Czech Republic, folks from Paris, from Venezuela, uh, from Turkey, from um, New Zealand. I mean, all over the world, we got to hear stories about what Jesus is doing in their lives and how they are joyfully pursuing him, even though it is costing them dearly. It was just, it was humbling to be there. And to hear them tell their stories and hear how other people had shared their stories. And that's what led them to begin their story with Jesus. It was just incredible. And I tell you these things about Junction, about El Salvador, and about Central Asia. Not to brag about our traveling. But I want you to know, church, the Jesus that we follow, the Jesus that we serve, he is living, he is active, and he is transforming lives all over the globe. He's huge, he's ginormous, and he has the ability to change lives. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. And as I think about the stories and how those stories were shared with me about what Jesus is doing in people's lives, it makes me think about these two questions. And I want you to think a little bit on these two questions. The first question is this, what has Jesus done for you? What has Jesus done for you? And the second question is real similar. What is Jesus currently doing in your life? 
See, because we have a relational God, a God who is working to bring about transformation in our lives. And he desires that as these stories unfold in our lives, he desires to use those stories to bring encouragement and hope and the gospel message to an unbelieving world. And so I want you just to think a little bit. What has God, what has Jesus done in your life, and what is Jesus doing right now in your life? As you park there, let me move us forward. We're in this series uh, called Founders. And it's funny. Um, when we got the email about the series of, of founders, leaders and movers and shakers in the New Testament, um, it would make sense for people to pick like Paul or pick like Timothy or Peter. But what happened for me is a, a truth that my mom spoke over me years ago saying, Todd, you just look at the world through a different lens. Like you just have a unique way of looking at things. It was proven true in this. And, and how that unique lens looks, uh, a quick example of this, one, I guess when I was really young, uh, she was doing dishes. I walked up to her and said, hey, mom, can I wear my toes outside? Like, what are you talking about? I said, well, can I wear my toes outside? I'm frustrated. How clear can I be? I want to wear my toes outside. And so being the bright and intelligent woman that she is, she says, show me. And so I huff and I sit down and I pull off my shoes and rip off my socks. And then I'm like, boom, barefoot. How everybody else would say barefoot. I'm saying, can I wear my toes outside? So apparently I just, I look at things uniquely. I I honestly think it's a mother's loving way to say, Todd, you're a little weird, but that's, that's, that's okay. The, the, the thing was, it was proven. This email comes through. And so people are saying, oh, I've got Peter. I've got Timothy. I want to talk about John the Baptist. And I'm like, hey, can I talk about an unnamed man who is demon-possessed? He's a mover and shaker in the New Testament. And I'm like, wait, what? And if you bear with me for these next few moments as we look into God's word, I think you might be convinced, too, that this actually is. He is a mover and a shaker here in the New Testament. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20, or tap to it if you're a digital person. I'm going to read the text. It's a little bit longer, but that's okay. It's good for us to hear God's word. Um, And so here we go. We're going to start Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. The same event is told in Luke. Matthew covers it, not quite as in depth, but Mark and Luke, they cover it really well. So here we are, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They, that's being Jesus and his disciples, they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him. And the shackles broken in pieces. And no one, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and he was gashing himself, cutting himself with stones. Well, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up to him, bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Which is very interesting. You know, the world around had no idea who Jesus is, but he bumps into this demon, and very much they identify. We know who you are. You are Jesus, Son of the Most High God. He continues, I implore you by God, do not torment me. Which is also interesting. The very one who is tormenting this man says, don't do to me what I'm doing to others. It's just interesting all the way throughout. For Jesus had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. Uh, Legion back in that day would have been 4,000 to 6,000 soldiers. So there's a multitude of activity going on in this guy. And he began to implore Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. 
Now, there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountains, and the demons implored him, saying, Send us to the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirit entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and, and the people, they came out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, Luke tells us, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting to the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, was imploring him that he might accompany Jesus. And Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, Go to your home, to your people, and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone, everyone was amazed. Incredible story. You know, when we get into these, these texts uh, in the New Testament, specifically when we're reading about Jesus, I think one of the greatest things we need to do, church, I think we need to have our ears perk up and we need to sit there and say, you know what? Who is this Jesus? Because Jesus explains God. Jesus, we learn about who God is by looking at Jesus' life. And so what we need to do is it's, it's important why we will get to the unnamed man in a moment. I want us to stop for a moment. I want us to look at this Jesus. Who is he? What is he like? How does he operate? Because this Jesus is incredible. Many times I bump into people and they say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And you well, why not? Tell me about the Jesus that you know. And they'll, they'll list the things that are not really true about Jesus. Uh, Guff, one of our pastors, he says when he's in those conversations, he's like, man, I wouldn't want to follow that Jesus either. But can I tell you about the Jesus that I know? And so it's important for us to know who this Jesus is. Who he really is. But more than that, for just correcting other people, it's important because as we see who he is, he just doesn't like wow our minds. He begins to wow our hearts. And when our hearts and our minds are wowed, look out. It changes everything. It changes how we talk about Jesus. It, it changes who we will talk to him. We're not afraid to enter in and begin to declare his name and his glory amongst other people when our minds and our hearts are engaged. It's a lot like this. I view it a lot like marriage. Um, I met my wife, Erin, on eHarmony, a website I know maybe kind of crazy. I was living in Santiago, Chile. She was here at Grace Bible Church. And this was, this was it. This was like, this is our eyes met. You know, that's how I saw her. Um, and I started to read her profile. And as I read her profile, read about her, it was incredible. There was no doubt that this woman absolutely loves God. There was no doubt that this woman is incredibly fun and no doubt that this woman is incredibly beautiful. And so my mind is like, wow, my heart is, whoa. And as we began to enter, um, just to communicate back and forth, those truths were continually established more and more and more. But I started learning other things about her. I began to see that she loves others incredibly well, that she's a sacrificial giver. Begin to see she's very determined. She's very intelligent and more. And the more and more I learned about who she is and how she operates, I just, I couldn't help anybody that I bumped into. I'm like, hey, can I tell you about Erin? Can I tell you about her? And six years into marriage, as I'm continuing to see those same truths affirmed and learning new ones, I still do the same thing. I mean, I can't believe that I have the honor and the privilege to be married to this amazing woman because I know it to be true. And as I see it, it blows my mind and it blows my heart. And it changes how I speak about her. And I want to tell everybody. And I think the same is true when it comes to Jesus. And so I want us to pause for just a brief moment. 
And we're going to look at a few different things about how we see Jesus in this text. And, and I'm actually, let's be honest, I'm going to cheat just a little. And I'm going to cheat because Mark and Luke, what they do is they make sure that there are four events that they keep together. Because within basically 50 verses, they want their readers' minds to be blown about how incredible Jesus is. And so the, the event, and I, I prefer event over story because stories were like, oh, it's like a bedtime story. No, this, Jesus is real. What he did is real. And so the event prior to this, many of us will know, Jesus is on the other side of the sea, and he's like, let's go over there. And so the disciples and he get in the boat. It's night, and they begin to sail across, and Jesus goes to sleep on a cushion. And as he's asleep, a huge storm comes up, and these, these disciples, many of whom were fishermen, and they were experts at, at what to do in the sea, they realize this is beyond us. They were at their wits' end, and so they finally come, and they wake up Jesus. He gets up, he says, hush, be still, and the waves and the wind, they stop. And his disciples look, and they say, oh, my goodness, who is, who is this? That even the wind and the seas, that, that they obey him. Many who study scripture will say, that event and this one, are hand in hand. They'll sit there and say, this was Jesus moving across the lake to go and liberate this man, and this was the enemy doing all he could to stop Jesus, and so he threw nature at him. But no matter where you are on that, the important thing is this. We see that Jesus has 100% power and control over the natural world. Absolute control. He's powerful. He steps into the spiritual world now in our story, right? And nobody can subdue this guy. And Jesus, no problem for him. He has absolute power over the spiritual world. And then the crowd there that, in the story that we read, in the event that we read, the crowd says, hey, we don't want you, go away. And so he goes and he arrives to the, the other side of Galilee and there's a crowd waiting to receive him. Very interesting. And they're excited to see Jesus. And he shows up and there's this guy named Jairus. And Jairus says, hey, Jesus, my daughter is sick. Can you come heal her? And Jesus says, absolutely. And so they begin to move towards Jairus' daughter. And in the crowd that's following, there's a woman who, who had been bleeding for 12 years and she had spent everything. The Bible tells us she had spent everything that she had on medical attention to heal her. And it didn't work. Actually, it made her worse. And we don't know if she had seen Jesus heal others or she had just heard stories about Jesus healing others. But something got in her mind and she thought, if I can just touch his robe, then I'll be healed. And so she navigates, she comes up and touches and just like that, she's healed instantly. Jesus has power not only over the natural world, not only over the spiritual world, he has power over the medical world. And at that same time, Jairus' friends come and say, don't even bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus is like, no, no, we're moving on. And he takes Peter, James, and John, and Jairus, and Jairus' wife, and they come into the house, and they're, they're their 12-year-old daughter is lying dead. And Jesus grabs her by the hand and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she gets up. Jesus has power over death. Listen, in, in 50 verses, these authors, they want us to know these four things about Jesus. That he is big, that he is huge, that he is powerful. And that the reason is... They want us to know, I firmly believe that no matter how big of an issue it is that you're facing, you're not going to overtax Jesus. His resources are sufficient. His grace is sufficient for you. No matter what you're walking through, the Jesus that we know and love and the Jesus that we follow is massively huge, massively powerful, and he can handle it. He can handle it. So you should come to him. But he doesn't just stop at these four. In our text, as we begin to look, I'm going to shrink this down a little bit. We see some other things about who Jesus is. We begin to see the fact that, man, he moves towards the broken. He's the one initiated. Let's go. We got to go. The next thing we see about Jesus, he's not afraid of messy situations. I think you and I would agree. A naked man running around screaming who is cutting himself, who cannot be bound, living amongst the tombs, that's a hot mess. And most of us, if we saw it, we'd be like, uh-uh. I'm going, this, I'm, I'm going this way. Most of us, that's how we would respond, but not Jesus. 
Is that a hot mess? That doesn't bother me. I'm moving towards that. That's an incredible Jesus, is it not? I mean, no matter how messed up your past is, Jesus is not running away from you. That's the Jesus the world needs to hear about. This is truly, truly incredible. Well, he continues to work in unexpected ways. It's good for us to know that Jesus doesn't work according to plans that make sense sometimes. He, he kind of does things differently. I mean, nobody would have had their wildest mind like, here's this guy with legion and there's some pigs and Jesus is telling how going to work this out. No, nobody knew that. He works in unexpected ways. But we continue here. We see that Jesus is incredibly gracious that he freely gives. He didn't show up to the guy and say, hey, you got a problem there. I tell you, give me 50 bucks and I'll take care of you. He didn't show up and say, hey, you got a problem. You know what? If you'll just clean up your act just a little bit more, then I'll step in. No. He graciously steps in. Freely gives. What an incredible Jesus. As we continue here, he sacrificially gives. Remember when the people showed up, they found the guy at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed. Where'd the clothing come from? Nobody's really sure. My guess, my speculation is that Jesus and his disciples said, well, he's naked. He needs to be clothed. Let's give him some. Probably didn't charge him either. It doesn't force himself on people. People said, go, he went. And I think this is so cool. Jesus, he longs for all. All to come to know him. Even the ones who who sent him away, he didn't leave them without hope. He sent this messenger back to tell them about the great things God did. We see that he's God. I don't know if you... Oh, well, we don't want to miss that one. Sometimes he says no to our plans. We'll get to that more later. But we see that he's God. If you picked it up in 519, uh, Jesus says, hey, go... Tell your people what the Lord has done for you. In Luke's account, he says, go tell your people what God has done for you. And it's very interesting. If we're not careful, when we read into 520, he goes and he tells everybody what Jesus has done for him. Jesus has declared he's fully God here. And I love this too, the fact that we learn that Jesus is willing to work through anyone. I mean, this is an incredible Jesus. And I hope that just as we've like poured all this information on you really quick, I hope that maybe in your mind you go like, wow. I hope that your heart goes, oh my goodness. I hope that it stirs something in you because as we're stirred people, we then become great storytellers and we are to be great storytellers about what Jesus has done in your life and what he is doing in your life to the broken world around us. That's what we're called to do. And I pray and I hope that seeing Jesus this way maybe will motivate and excite you. Well, let's move on here to actually talk about the unnamed man. Why in the world would I say that he's a mover and a shaker? Why this guy? Start off with the first thing is he's 100%. I wanted us to talk about him because he's relatable. And you may be sitting there going, well, hold on, Todd. That, that dude was a hot mess and that was not me. Or you might be sitting there going, that guy was a hot mess and that wasn't me. How can I relate to that? Here's the truth, right? This was a spiritually broken man. He was spiritually broken. He was ruined. There was nothing that he could do to escape from the spiritual brokenness in his life. And here's the reality, men and women. All of us were born spiritually broken. All of us. There's not one of us who escaped that. All of us are born spiritually broken. There's nothing we can do to fix it. And you know, we know we're broken. We, if we're honest, we really know the brokenness is there because a lot of times we'll try to, to fill that void with different things. We'll say, well, if I just have enough education, that'll, that'll, that'll hit. That, that'll be okay. It'll fill the void. If I just had enough money, if I just have the right relationships, if I just grow my family to the right number, if, if I just have you know, the, the powerful position, if I have the right car, 
Or maybe we go to more destructive things. If I, I just, man, I, I need to numb it. And so through different addictions, we go ahead and we pursue these things. We know that we are broken. And so just as this man was spiritually broken, so were all of us. And there was nothing that you could do and there's nothing that he could do to fix himself. But Jesus, Jesus shows up on the scene. And Jesus is willing to step into his brokenness and transform him. And Jesus, I hope and I pray that he, he's come and he's offered to fix your brokenness. And I hope that, that we've understood the grace of God and knowing that he's not asking us to pay 50 bucks for it. He's not asking us to go do some amazing, amazing accomplishment to earn the right to be called child of God. But he just comes and he freely lavishes it on us. And if you don't know that, you know like, man, I am broken, but I don't really know what you're talking about, Todd, but I would like to. Man, it's, it's really an amazing thing. John three sixteen, one of the most popular verses ever, right? For, for God so loved the world. He so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And it seems crazy and it seems too simple that your brokenness could simply be fixed by saying, God, I believe, thank you. Help me walk in a new way. But that's the truth. It's the magnitude of the gospel. It changes lives. I can take you with me to El Salvador. I can take you to Junction. I can take you to Central Asia and I can point to person after person after person after person. The gospel transforms lives. And then the other way that we can relate to this is not only was he a spiritually broken person made whole by Jesus, but then he was given a mission to go and tell others what God had done. And we too, church, as followers of Jesus, we have a mission to go and tell others about the great things that God has done in our lives. So this man, I wanted to talk about this guy because we can relate to him. We, we, we can relate to his story. The next thing is, uh, this is amazing. I think this man is a mover and a shaker because of the fact that he pressed on even when he was told no. I mean, that's incredible. I, I have, have had the luxury of being in ministry for a while and, and I'll talk with people and, and I see them. They'll be like, yeah, Jesus is great. He's awesome. And then something happens. They'll pray for something they really want and it doesn't work how they want. And it seems like Jesus says no. And all of a sudden they're like, well, that's just not fun and not fair. And so they go from this bold declaimer, uh, de, um, declarer of gospel truth to all of a sudden going, well, he kind of disappointed me. He said no. They begin to shrink back. They begin to shrink back. They become very silent about their faith. But not this guy. In the face of being told no, he pressed on. And I was thinking about this. Yesterday I was going for a run. And I was thinking specifically about this point, the fact that he pressed on when saying no. And, and this was a memorable run. And if anybody was driving on, on Welsh yesterday, uh, you probably, if you saw some guy looking weird, it was me. Um, but let me just tell you what's going on. I was, thinking about, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about all the times in my life that I had prayed for good things, and the answer was no. Things didn't work how I wanted I was thinking about, for example, when I knew that downsizing was going to happen to the organization that I worked for. And I, and I was praying to God. I'm like, God, this is just not, I mean, it's not good for anybody, but man, this, would, this is going to be devastating to me. Please, not me. I've served here faithfully. Uh, you've done great things in and through me here. Please don't let it be me. I'm not done here, Lord. I have more to give. Please, not me. Don't let them call my name the next day. Next day, they called my name. Begin to think about the time that um, the one closest to me, one who's never supposed to leave, never supposed to abandon, never supposed to forsake, never supposed to betray, that they were looking to leave. 
I remember praying, Lord, please, would you bring reconciliation? Would you, would you, bring, would you just bring healing in this area? God, you're a God who loves healing. You're a God who loves restoration. Those are things that you, that you love. Father, please don't let them leave. They left. I began to think about family members who were diagnosed with cancer and round one went fine and praying, Lord, don't let the cancer return and then to find out the cancer returned. I began to think about another loved one that I know that was suffering uh, for a long time with another type of cancer and praying, God, please heal. Please heal this person. I know that you can do great things. And yet the answer was no. He healed her in a totally different way and took her home. Thought about the time when I was between jobs and I was waiting to go and start my vocational ministry work and there was just a little bit of time between my other job and that job and there's in-between time. I looked at my finances and said, okay, I think I can make it so long as nothing major happens. No unexpected expense happens. And so I remember praying, God, listen, please just allow my finances to last. Please don't let anything major happen. And then the next day to be driving and boom, run into this massively deep pothole, two tires gone, uh, all these extra expenses, all of a sudden I had to come out of my pocket and it was gone and the answer was no. And I began to think about all these times that, that I had prayed good things and the answer was no. And I remember the, just the emotion and the disappointment and what was going on and, and tears started welling up in my eyes. And so I'm, I'm, I'm running and now tears are starting to flow, which is just kind of weird. And And then I began to to remember that that's part of my story. Each of those events is part of my story. And the amazing thing is that each of those events, God has significantly used to help others find and follow Jesus. Those lowest times, the the most difficult times of my life that seem like they're just a total waste, God has moved in and he says, no, I can use those times for my glory. And he he has. And so as I'm running, I have these tears of sorrow and now they're tears of joy. And I'm just amazed at what great things, and I happen to be listening to Phil Wickham's great things in, in my ears. And as I'm running, I'm crying tears of sorrow and tears of joy. And literally, it was just, it was a unique thing. I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing this. And I'm going, I'm going, amen, you are good. I'm yelling this out loud. People walking their dogs are like, what is going on with this guy? But that was me. See, our Jesus things don't always, they don't, don't always go our way. Just because he's powerful enough doesn't always mean we get the outcome that we want. And yet he can use that for his glory. And it's taken me a long time to get my head around that. But this guy, right away, he didn't sulk. He didn't shrink away. Can I go with you? No, but I have this for you. Okay. And he steps into that. That's amazing. To me, that's a mover and a shaker if I've ever seen one. Well, the next thing is he told this story. You're like, well, that's not that fascinating, but really it is. He was willing to go out and share what God had done in his life. That's, that's incredible. You know, I've noticed in, and specifically in our culture, there's this idea that uh, we don't want to be offensive to anybody else. And so we're like, you know what? I'm not going to tell people about Jesus with my lips. What I'm going to do is I'm going to live differently. And I'm going to live so differently that people will then be drawn to Jesus. Okay? And I... I applaud that. As followers of Jesus, our lives should 100% look different than the rest of the world. And I, I think that's wonderful and amazing. But as we're sitting there saying, I want my actions to reflect Jesus, we need to remember that speaking is an action as well. 
And by staying silent and just saying, well, I'm living a different and a good life around and that's going to draw people to Jesus, but I'm not ever going to say anything about he is the reason for the transformation in me. By being silent, there's a massive danger that comes with that. See, the danger is this. The narrative that everybody else, that the world around you is going to write is saying, you are that way because you worked hard to get that. You overcame your anger through your own strength. And so I see you, you've had victory in that area, so I'm just going to try really, really, really hard to be like you. It doesn't work. True confession time here years ago uh, when I was in college, I don't really know what happened during this time of my life, but as I was there, I just picked up the swearing bug. My language was horrible at times. And, of course, I'm in college, and I'm like, I know everything, you know, I can do whatever I want. And as I'm walking throughout life, I'm, I'm, I'm walking from the rec center back to my dorm, and I hear some people in front of me talking, and they're just swearing up a storm. And I'm thinking, wow, they, that sounds bad. And so right then and there, I said, it's time to change. No more swearing from me. I can do this. And so I came up with my plan. I was like, every time I say a swear word, I'm going to do 10 push-ups. And you know what happened? There was a decrease in the amount of swear words that I said, and there was a massive increase in the amount of push-ups that I did. And this went on and on and on and on. It was very frustrating. I'm like, this is just my language. How can I not overcome this? A few months later, I just found myself in a season where I was being captivated by Jesus and his word. I, just, I was reading and I was reading through the New Testament. I was amazed by, wow, look at this God, who, this Jesus who has power over the, over the natural world, the spiritual world, the medical world, over death. And wow, look at him. and moves towards the broken. And I was just fascinated with who Jesus is. And I, I found myself that when I was walking between classes, I was thinking about Jesus. When I was going uh, to practice tennis, I was thinking about Jesus. I, I began to, to see that, that my life was starting to change. And then one day I looked around, I was like, wait, I haven't sworn in a really long time. I'm no longer Todd the Swearmaster. There, there's victory. And as I, as I share that with many people throughout the years, they've, they've normally said this, well, Todd, I think that's great and fine and dandy, but we know you to be a very determined individual. You're a very goal-oriented individual. You're a very structured individual. And so it's just those three things in your life. That's how you overcame your language. And I'm like, no, it's Jesus who overcame my language. And so if I'm just silent, if we're just silent, we're just a nice guy or a nice girl who goes to church and we're thinking that's going to do it without ever being willing to step in and, and, and remark to people and say, no, 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 no. I'm only this way because of Jesus. If we're not going to use our lips, we really run the danger of supporting this false narrative that you can fix yourself. You can't fix yourself. You can't fix the brokenness. Only Jesus can. He was willing to tell his story. He lived differently. He'd show up and they'd be like, oh, wow, you're clothed. Yeah. You know, well, why is that? It's Jesus. Incredible. The other interesting thing about him with his story, when you think about it, is this. He didn't sugarcoat things. I mean, he couldn't, right? Jesus said, go to your people. They knew. They knew all of the hot mess. They're like, aren't you the guy who was naked and cutting yourselves and in the tombs and the mountains and like we would chain up a whole bunch of times? Like he could not hide his past. There was no way he could sugarcoat things. That's one of the things, too, the privilege that I've had within ministry is I get to sit with a lot of people and I get to just be like, hey, tell me your story. What's going on? How, how, did, how did Jesus come to just captivate your life? And, and we hear these stories over and over and over and over and over and over again. And a lot of times they're really sugarcoated. A number of times, Aaron and I will meet with people and they'll share their, their version and then we'll come back and we'll share our version. And they'll be like, wow, since you're willing to be so honest, here's what's really going on. I mean, we just have a tendency to want to save face. Um, it, it's kind of like this. If you sit down with a person and they say, well, and, and this is a... Loosely true story. 
Actually, this is a true story. Don't be mad at me because I was a little bit harsh, but that's okay. Um, I, tell me about your story with Jesus. And the guy says, well, you know, I grew up in a good home, good family, went to church. But when I was like eight, I stole a piece of candy. I felt bad about it, came to church. And because I felt bad, I prayed to Jesus and, and he removed the guilt. And then really since then, everything's been great. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a great story. I mean, you were eight and you're now 25. I mean, wow, to, to not have anything else hard to ever walk through the rest of your life has just been amazing. Yep, yep, that's absolutely amazing. And when you think about it, I mean, that's, that's a great testimony. But if he shares that testimony to somebody who's sitting there and is having a, maybe just a broken marriage, has anger issues, has addiction issues, has vanity out the wazoo, and they know that there's hopelessness. And, and, and all that he's sharing is like, well, yeah, I just really wasn't that broken. I was pretty good. What's being presented really is, is a very limited Jesus. And what that communicates to other people is, okay, I have to fix my marriage and my own strength up to like 98% healthy, and then Jesus will take the last 2%. I need to clean up my own act. And as I clean that up, as I work really hard to be a good person, then Jesus' grace, God's grace will be sufficient for me. And so I've seen that happen. I've seen that dialogue with, with folks. And so I just began to ask some questions a little bit more. I was like, so when you were eight when, when you stole candy? Right, 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 right. So that means you're a thief, right? Whoa, whoa, Todd, listen. <laughs> That's a big word. So, well, you stole something. Isn't that what thieves do? Well, you know, not very comfortable. And I said, well, let's just talk here a little bit more about this. I'm, I'm kind of curious that uh, you didn't mention anything about the root of the problem. That's your heart. You know, you wanted and so you took. And there's brokenness within there. You've kind of downplayed the whole, whole thing that there's wickedness in you. Oh, yeah, there is wickedness in me. You know, and so you really haven't been fully honest, you know, with, with that story. Would you agree? Well, yeah, maybe not fully. So you're, you're lying. You're a liar. You're a thief and a liar, right? Like, Whoa. So no, 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 it's okay. It's a safe space. It's a safe space. I said, and you've been telling me from age 8 to age 25 that you've never had any issue, never any doubts, you've never had any times where Jesus hasn't worked in the way that you thought that he should and you've been mad or sad or nothing about that at all. I was like, well, you know, that's not really entirely true. Uh, well, why didn't you want to share that? Well, I just thought if I, if I shared any of those struggles that you might think less of me. Oh, okay, so you're more concerned about what others think about you than what Jesus has actually done in you. Well, maybe. I said, listen, that's me too. I I have a default people pleaser thing. So I'm not blaming you. But the reality is that's like an idol of self. And so here we are, thieves, liars, and idol worshipers who have potty mouths. That's now our story. Not just that this Jesus was enough to handle the guilt of a 25 cent piece of gum. We can now boldly declare that this Jesus, his grace is sufficient to take care of those who are thieves, those who are liars, those who are worship themselves, those who have potty mouths and more. Because the reality is we were broken through and through and through and through. And when we begin to tell that story, maybe in a more uh, real light, it's incredible the liberation and freedom that it begins to bring others. It's truly incredible. This man knew that. He was willing to walk into that. And I think that's just, again, a reason why um, he is a mover and shaker here in the New Testament. Now, before we get to our fourth point, I know we are celebrating communion. And so if there are folks who are here who are helping to serve communion, I'd ask you guys head to the back right now. It would be a great time to do that. But the fourth reason why I think this guy is a mover, a shaker, a leader in the New Testament is the region where he was was massively impacted. 
If you were to flip over two chapters into Mark chapter 7, I've got it here on the screen for us. Mark seven thirty one. Again, he, that's Jesus, went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Remember in 520, where did he go and tell his people? He was in the region of Decapolis. And so this is a little bit later on in Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus is coming back to the region where what did they do before? The crowd of people said, get away. Go away, Jesus. And so this sets the scene. Two chapters later, Jesus comes back to the people who said, get away from me. And what do they do? Well, in Mark's account, he says, they bring to him a man who is deaf and mute for Jesus to heal. When Matthew talks about it, Matthew says not only did they bring that guy, they brought a ton of lame people, a ton of sick people. They brought a ton of broken people. And where did they bring them? They brought them to the feet of Jesus, the very place that the demon-possessed man had been seen at the feet of Jesus. This region that said, get away from us, Jesus. All of a sudden they're saying, come to us, Jesus. Here's our hurts. Here's our brokenness. Please do something with this. Something major happened in that region. So much so that if you were continuing to Mark 8, you would see it's the feet feeding of 4,000. That's feeding 4,000 Gentiles, which is incredible. Those 4,000 are in this region. The people who said, get away from me, Jesus, are now willing to go three days without food in order to hear Jesus teach. Something incredible has happened in that region. And I can't help but think that this formerly demon-possessed unnamed man going and sharing his story played some part of God's softening of the heart and bringing about massive transformation. This man absolutely is a mover and a shaker in the New Testament, is worth looking at all over the place. And when we're, when we're thinking here, with communion, it's God's story. His story of the cross. His story of the resurrection, but not just his story there, his story, how he comes and he transforms our lives. God is absolutely in the business. He wants to reach this world through unnamed people, the, the non-popular ones, folks who are simply in awe of Jesus and who are willing to tell their stories. I mean, after all, he used an unnamed man with a challenging history who had been told no by Jesus. That man simply embraced the call. He told the story to a people who formerly had said, Jesus, get away from us. And the result was a massive attitude change towards Jesus. God is in the business of using people like you and like me to reach the world by sharing our stories. And so as they come forward to serve communion here, I want us just to to ponder just a few things. We went massively and quickly through a few things about who Jesus is. Who is he? Like, just take some time, take some space. Who is this Jesus? I want to encourage you too. What has Jesus done for you? What is Jesus doing in your life today? Begin to think about that story that he is writing in your life. And as you think about all the things that are going on, who do you know that might benefit from hearing that story? So as the elements are passed, I'm going to ask that you hold them. I'll be back in just a few moments and we'll celebrate communion together. I know that I speak quickly and I know that I speak at times passionately. It's Jesus that that we follow. He's incredible. He's amazing. I hope in my prayer this morning is that we would be encouraged and challenged to see him for who he truly is. When I think about communion, you know, it's amazing. It ties us to to the church as a whole. Throughout throughout history, they've celebrated this, their connection and how Jesus, their declaration that Jesus has changed their lives. 
really amazing. He's in the business of changing lives. He's in the business of using unnamed men and women to tell their stories to reach the world. As we read here in Corinthians, read about this Jesus. They're looking to remember what he'd done. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're incredible. Father, your love that you have for us, your desire to step into our messiness, your ability to bring about great transformation. Father, your desire then to to use us to reach the world around us through through story, Lord, is incredible. I I pray pray that as we we ponder who you are and what you've done in our lives, that we can't help but have that overflow and spill over in other people's lives. We absolutely love you.